Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Santa! Oh, my God! Would you please tell him that instead of presents this year, I just want my family back. Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? It must be magic. I must find some way to keep Christmas from coming. Nobody's walking out on this fun, old-fashioned family Christmas. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? True, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Welcome back to another episode of Kids the Podcast, the podcast that's determined to keep the Christmas spirit alive 366 days per year, even during this hot quarantine summer. I'm Anthony. I'm Julia. And I'm Tom. Happy Christmas in July, y'all. Happy Christmas in July. Grumble, grumble, grumble. <laughs> Why are you grumbling? It's hot. It is hot. It is hot. It is. Luckily, we expect rain the next few days, so hopefully it cools things down a, bit, down a bit, but I doubt it. Our windows are all covered right now, so it's got this very creepy feeling in our house. To keep it cooler? No, we're getting our house painted. Oh, so it's all taped The painters off. put Visqueen on the outside, and yeah. I'm sitting here up in my second story office. Like I've got my window open this morning, sipping my coffee and working, and I just see a head pop up. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize the painters were here and starting, and there's just suddenly this head here, and I'm like, oh, that must be today. It was a uh, very awkward feeling. Since you mentioned creepy, Halloween's coming up in a few short months, and since we're all still going to be in quarantine, listener Kendall on Kiss the Podcast Group inspired a nugget of an idea. How fun would it be to do like a quarantined Zoom, open Zoom room Halloween party with all our listeners who won't be able to fun. go out and celebrate? The people. That'd be so fun. Be fun. Any chance like to dress up? Yep. I like it. So we'll plan that mm-hmm. as we get All closer. flavored beer. Oh, yeah. So, Tom. Anthony. Don't you have? So, aren't you a proud Christmas parent today? What were you just telling me off? I what? am. Uh, earlier this week, we were uh, looking at Disney Plus. Uh, Ellie, we were going to watch a movie. And Ellie saw the Santa Claus and wanted to watch that. So we watched it. She loved it. Comet is now her favorite reindeer. Good for her. Good taste. And then we've been having some difficulty getting tired and going to sleep, and bedtime's been a fight. So I've let her watch snippets of, like, we'll watch a little bit of a movie, and then she'll she'll go to bed. It's a lot easier way um, than trying to fight with her. So we started the Santa Claus 2, and tonight she asked if we could go to bed early and do daddy-daughter movie night. So we did. And mm-hmm. we finished it, and she loved that as well. Although oh, she thinks Chet, she thinks that reindeer is weird talking about Chet. <laughs> <laughs> it's I mean, on like, point. not wrong. Yeah. And uh, she was really, she thought it was really weird to see Santa's bottom. Oh, the plastic tushy Santa. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I'm so glad she's loving it. And you're gonna watch the Santa Claus three now. I would say, don't ruin it for her. I think it'll be. A, I think it'll exist. appeal to a four year old. I probably. But I'm you sure have I'm, to watch it too. 
I was about to say, Tom, don't come back on this show after you watch it and say, you know, after watching with Ellie, I think Jack Frost may be my favorite Christmas character now. It has Martin yeah. Short in it. I don't think you have to worry about me ever saying anything good about Martin Short. Don't pull a star on us on this one. <laughs> Our anniversary special is next month, Tom. We don't want to hear when we're reevaluating the list like we do every year. Man, the Santa Claus 3 should be a lot higher, you know? Bet- between Jack Frost and Chet, like, I think I was way too harsh on this film. We, uh, I think I see how to troll Anthony. Big words. The Santa Claus 3 is the the best in the franchise. I mean, that is just the magnum opus of the Santa Claus world. I still can't get it out of my mind ever since you brought it up as a joke on this show that they should do a Santa Claus 4 slash reboot where Santa is Scott Calvin, the one who falls off the roof. It could be hilarious. That would be amazing. And we see the tragedy of his of his wife getting put in cuffs and taken down to the Mrs. Claus dungeon with the others. It's a whole nother story, isn't it? It is, it is. We're not here to talk movies tonight. No. For a change. What are we here to talk about, Julia? We are here to talk about one of our favorite topics. I mean, don't we love it when this comes up in our own podcast? Our own podcast episodes. We're here to talk about Christmas traditions, not just ours either. Christmas traditions from tons of our listeners. So many audio submissions came in from you guys. Holy cow, it's amazing. It is amazing, and it was so good. I'm gonna say in advance, hearing everyone's voices. We got our usual listeners who participate a lot, but tons of ones we've never heard before, but who we interact with all the time, like Mm -hmm. Disco54, who, Disco, I knew you were from the North, Hearing your accent made me feel at home. Sign this That is definitely a Northern English dialect. What's interesting is, so when we put out the challenge to our listeners to get all their feedback back to us, we said, oh, adopt a country. Tell us about foreign tradition. Well, our listeners took it and ran with it because we didn't only get foreign traditions. We got local traditions. We got personal family traditions. We got Hanukkah traditions. We got tons of stuff. So this blew up past what we had planned, and I think it's all the better for it. It's going to be all the more fun because of it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So at this point, do we say thank you or you're welcome for what we're putting together right now? I think both. Thank you and you're welcome. <laughs> you know, I know it's a break from our usual format, but the three people discussing movies things is a bit tired, so we wanted to change it up a bit for our summer podcast special. And we do promise zero snark in this episode. Uh, I did not commit to that beforehand. Ah. What? <laughs> snark is my Christmas tradition. <laughs> what? <laughs> what did I just commit you to? <laughs> you think way, way too highly of Anthony and I if you think that can happen. <laughs> so before we travel the world with our listeners, we've all adopted some traditions we want to talk about first too, right? Because we didn't want to miss out on the fun. Julia, do you want to start us out with some foreign traditions? Which country did you adopt? Or what city are you going to talk about? Or So, I adopted Christmas in Greenland for this episode. Partially because uh, my mom spent a lot of time growing up in Alaska. And she would always talk about Inuits when she was up there. And so, I just wondered about it randomly the other day. What is an Inuit Christmas like? So, so Julia, out of curiosity, where did you do your research for Christmas at Greenland? So I looked at a few different websites. My favorite was actually whychristmas.com. 
Um, it's a really neat website. It's got um, not just Christmas traditions around the world, but it also covers fun activities and it looks like food is a focus as well. And what's really cool is you can pick lots of different locations, um, pretty varied locations and discover what their Christmases are like in those you parts know, of the world. So you, you want to know a secret? What? That's where, I, that's where I did my research for Germany and Italy too. Oh. I mean, it's a great website. It's it really is a great awesome. website. I, I bookmarked it, actually, because I'm a nerd and I want to learn about Christmas all over the world. Right? I do, too. So I will definitely be visiting it again. So Christmas in Greenland. There are polar Inuits in Greenland, which is what brought me here. And I was curious about, one, what is it like in, what's Christmas like in a land where it probably almost always feels like Christmas to some extent. Um, but really, what is it like when you've got like hardcore winter? Um, when I thought a few things were really, really interesting that I didn't think about before. So for one, um, as expected, the way that presents change throughout different locations. Um, some of the traditional presents for a polar Inuit Christmas in Greenland are model sledges, polished walrus tusks, and sealskin mitts is neat, useful, and locally appropriate. And fashionable. Um, fashionable sealskin mitts. Um, I also really liked this. So Christmas trees all have to be imported because trees don't grow that far north in Greenland. Um, so they typically import them from Denmark. Um, Greenland has a long history with Denmark specifically. And they decorate their trees in what feels very Scandinavian. Um, they decorate them with candles and bright ornaments and sometimes small versions of sealskin breeches known as kamiks, which sounds precious and sweet. Um, <laughs> it, as with the other weird traditions of lots of people, um, you typically decorate them on the 23rd of December, which is entirely too late for me, but awesome for people that that's part of the tradition. And I liked this, and I would actually prefer this. For people that can't use an imported tree, they typically use a driftwood tree, and they decorate it with heather, which sounds gorgeous to me. Yes, yeah, please. Yeah, it does. Might need to add that to my tree collection in the next few years. Also, and this is my favorite part of Greenland traditions for Christmas, is stars are a prominent decoration for um, this region. Um, Lots of people put illuminated stars up in their windows. There's stars on most homes and in all public buildings. And because Greenland is so far north and within the Arctic Circle during the winter, the sun never rises. So it's perpetual darkness around this time, which my mom would tell me about Alaska as well, which I always thought was weird, but kind of cool at the same time. <laughs> I always thought so, that was cool. I've always wanted to visit somewhere during its month of darkness or you know, yeah. months of darkness. Yeah, that'd be kind of yeah. cool. It, it would, would be, be really cool. And when you see the sun, it just skims the horizon, which is supposed to be really cool. So that would be neat. Um, but the stars are kind of multi-purpose. They're not just beautiful, but they also help bring some light to the area since it is dark for so long. Um, the tradition of hanging stars came with the Christian missionaries from the Moravian church. Moravian? 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 Tom? Moravian. <laughs> I like it. I was about to say that too, Tom, because we know Tom would be the expert. We just that. let it keep going, though. Um, and I have to. We have to admit, though, the Moravians sound very much like they would be something on a Netflix Christmas yeah, episode, does. right? Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, it does. <laughs> um, 
the stars specifically that they use, the style of them are sometimes called poinsettia stars because they look a little bit like poinsettia flowers. Can I add one interesting thing about the Moravian church? Please do. It is one of the oldest Protestant churches in the world. Oh, wow. They went Protestant way before most people did. Uh, was cool. Yeah, their Reformation, the Bohemian Reformation, took place uh, in the 15th century. So also in Greenland are some food traditions that typically go with Christmas. Um, as they are a coastal area surrounded by water, there's heavy seafood influence. Um, so one of them is called matak, and it's whale skin with a strip of blubber inside. My mom actually told me when she was in Alaska, they would chew on blubber, mm -hmm. like gum, but it would mm -hmm. be whale blubber. So the matak is supposed to taste like fresh coconut, but it's often too tough to chew, and it's usually just swallowed whole. Um, another Christmas food, and this one harkens back to when I did a little trip over to Christmas Pass podcast um, on a true truce and a lie with Dwayne, who you'll hear later. This was my truth in weird Christmas food, um, kiviak, probably I'm butchering that. It's the raw flesh of little ox, which is a type of Arctic bird, which had been buried whole in seal skin for several months until they've reached an advanced stage of decomposition. Although it's strange, it is a delicacy in Greenland. Um, other popular foods, they have some soups and stews. Caribou and reindeer is pretty popular there as well. And then obviously fish, either raw or cooked. Um, their Christmas desserts sound delightful. Berries, apples, crisps, um, and then a Christmas porridge that's served with butter and topped with sugar and cinnamon. I mean, what's not to like? Um, and there's a ton of Danish pastry influence in Greenland as well. I will say, sounds delightful mostly except for the little raw flesh of little tiny birds in a Sounds like somewhere I'd love to visit for Christmas. Not because of the, that was no sarcasm. I'm not saying that because of the raw bird flesh. I'm saying in general, <laughs> it really does sound like it would be awesome to spend the holidays there. It does. It does. So, Tom, mm -hmm. do you have a... Well, I have a few Christmas to talk tradition? about, so I'm just going to kick off and talk about... Um, I'm going to go with some of the with the, the direction that some of our listeners took. And I'm going to talk about Christmas in Tulsa. Because Ooh. I absolutely love it here. Does it involve working late at some dead-end company where you reminisce about past relationships or how your current relationship may be falling apart? And then you realize, oh man, I'm sexy in Tulsa. And then you go home to your wife? No, it doesn't. Um, <laughs> because my wife is here in Tulsa too. Um, so Christmas... In Tulsa, it's there are a lot of little towns around Tulsa that are that are smaller. Some of them have very quaint charm feels, like Claremore, Oklahoma downtown, or Jinx. And there's now become this 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 vying to be the the first town to do your Christmas lights. So it's gotten earlier over the last you know 15 years. But in our family, we go every year after Thanksgiving. We go to Utica Square, which is where um, all of the nice stores to window shop are. You know. Uh, it's one of the, the few times we always get, we get there early so we have time to get a Starbucks and go stand outside and we'll, they'll have, you know. I gotta stop you right there. I thought you were too bougie for Starbucks. It's a tradition though from my, when I was a teenager. It's like just something about it feels right on, thanks, on Thanksgiving night. Okay. I, but I, I, I am. And I don't go for coffee. I get, I get sugary brown water drinks. Like me, okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't get anything that resembles coffee. You should get hot um, chocolate. They have the best. Oh, well, I do like their I like their peppermint hot chocolate a lot. Yeah, it's so good. But you know, you'll stand outside these choir. They'll have choirs perform. There are always, you know, the 
one of the famous news folk on town are, are always emceeing and there will be a countdown to Santa arriving. And when Santa gets there, he does the countdown and lights up the Utica Square. And then we walk around to the different shops. You know, we'll go check out, um, you know, we'll go walk through like William Sonoma, which is one of my favorite places to go and shop for all the things I wish I had in my kitchen and realize, you know, I need more, 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 which isn't that what Christmas is all about. Maybe after all, Christmas does come from a store. It's called William Sonoma. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, and then one of the great things about living here in Tulsa, especially if you have a family, are the sheer number of free things to do. So we have this amazing park, the gathering place, and they go all out for Christmas. It's it's this it's the huge park that I know if you've listened to our podcast, you've heard Julia and I talk about that we can't wait to take Anthony to. But they'll have yeah. decorations. They have all of these little little stand set up for you know like cocoa or ice cream you know it's just it's just a whole wintry experience there's christmas music playing everywhere and the lights and it's one of ellie's favorite places to go anyway so when we're there she just gets really really excited um and that's throughout the entire christmas season um every night you know they do something different and it's a lot of fun but one of the big things tulsa is known for are the rama christmas lights rama is a large mega word of faith church but they start putting up their christmas lights in august it is just absolutely insane you once you get onto the property it's like it becomes day there's so many lights you see absolutely everything and there are these smells of roasting popcorn and peanuts and all of the of warming sweet treats and it just feels very christmasy to walk around through here you feel like you're in another place it's pretty magical do you and your family go to raymond julia we don't consistently, but we have. And when you go, you're always like, why don't we go here more? Yes, that's always what we say. Pretty much. And then we try and get out of there and we're like, this is why. The this is why we don't, yeah. This is why yeah. we don't do this. <laughs> that's a lot of traffic. But I have, the, I have the brain that forgets all of the awful stuff. And then I'm surprised every year again when it's time to leave and it's impossible to get out. It's See, like, to me, the crowds are and the traffic are part of the Christmas season. It just makes it feel Christmassy for some reason that time of year. The crowds. That's because you're from New York. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tra- crowds, crowds here for us, aside from Rambo, what you think of and it's not even such a big deal anymore because of the way Tulsa has grown it used to be around the the good mall we have we had three malls one of them closed now one of them got bought by a church or a school I don't remember maybe it was OU med school promenade promenade oh I didn't know that yeah I didn't know who bought them yeah anyway so there used to be three malls one of them you just never went to it was not in the best part of town and I mean it was run down now it's like a DHS office you go there for your not, I used to work there. Not you the worked DHS at Eastland? Office. Eastland has a bunch of call centers in it too. It's just a big old mall space, but they converted it to Capital One call center, Coke mm-hmm. call centers in there, all that stuff. Definitely not a mall anymore, but you would go to the good mall and traffic for you know miles was just insane all year during Christmas. And I worked at 71st and Memorial in college at The Slobster. I worked at Red Lobster, which when you're dating somebody who hates seafood and you go home smelling of fish every night, it got to a point to where I would have to go back to my house and bathe before I could see Christine while we were dating because she just could not stand the, the smell. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, we also used to, weirdly, the only time of year I ever went to Olive Garden, we would go during Christmas time. We don't anymore. But for the longest time early on in our marriage, we went to Chris, we went to Olive Garden at Christmas time or Johnny Carino's, and I don't know why. But everywhere you go, there are, there are lots of lights. One of the largest 
inflatables displays in the country is just outside of Tulsa. It's well, just outside it's at Lake County line, uh, east of Broken Arrow, and you can go and see ridiculous number of inflatables. I don't because I have an opposition to inflatables. They make me feel do. they're so tacky. <laughs> I blink they're awesome. every year. Yeah, we had awesome. a bunch back in the day. My mom does too. And it's always sad because over the years, they'll start sagging in certain parts and just looking really depressing, right? I don't like when people just let them melt on the ground during the day. My parents kept them running 24-7. So does my mom because it just looks really depressing. It looks like a puddle of Christmas regurgitation on the ground, right? It looks like the yeah, scene have... of Frosty when he is melted <laughs> and Santa has to bring him back to life. <laughs> we have Olaf in the backyard and when he's deflated, it's, it's just a puddle. <laughs> okay, I might be I might be able I might be convinced to go for an Olaf inflatable. It's super fun because when the timer turns him on, he inflates slowly and then like the last three seconds he goes Wah! <laughs> It's like because ah! he's the last thing to inflate is like his head muscles. That's pretty great. It is kinda of sad right now when they're painting our house, they took off our Christmas lights and it's kinda of sad. Kind of sad. I know. I had kept them up because I like to turn them on randomly and make myself happy. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of fun stuff to do. We used to have an amazing Christmas train that unfortunately is gone. That was something we did every year. So Tulsa Christmas sounds awesome. It is. So I, I'm going to say when the world allows travel again, I'm going to come out there for a weekend around Christmas and you guys come out here for a weekend around Christmas and it would be awesome. I love that. That would be awesome. I would very much like that. And Christine just redid our guest room, so it's even more homey now. Oh, I, I'd have guest room. So I'd have to, I was about to say, I'd have to stay with you. There's no way Julie would offer. <laughs> I don't have any space in my house. <laughs> There's a bunk bed in Gabe's room, but. I, I'd stay on the bottom bunk. <laughs> I could be a Let's... guest on one of his YouTube channel shows. He would love that. Would he really? When, when I fly out to views, man. When I fly out to Tulsa and meet your all families and everything, I will totally do a spot oh, for Gabe's YouTube channel. He would love that so much. <laughs> There's no telling what he would have you do, though. He's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so that's Christmas in Tulsa. It's a lot of fun, you know. And of course, there are the same, you know, the all the Christmas trees everywhere. There are, you know, there's. Dickens, there's a Dickens Christmas in Claremore, which is really nice. It's a, it's a, got a, a small town Route 66 feel. And then you have all of the people in Victorian attire. Sure. So I thought of doing Christmas in New York, but we had a Patreon episode drop yesterday, July 24th, in which April and I talked for three hours about Christmas in New York. And I had to be cut <laughs> down to an hour 45 at the time because I didn't know there was a workaround to put all three hours up. So when you listen, the episode was originally double the length in time, but it was really fun. And we talked about all the New York City traditions. So if you're a member of Patreon, check it out if you haven't yet. If you're not a member of Patreon, think about subscribing. Because it's a fun episode and there are tons of other stuff up there. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to talk about Christmas in Italy since I'm Italian. And like Julia, I did my research on whychristmas.com. So one of the most important ways of celebrating Christmas in Italy is the nativity crib scene, uh, which was made popular by St. Francis of Assisi in 1223. 
fun side note, that's my church, St. Francis of Assisi, so. Fun side note, he is not a saint in the Orthodox Church. Fun side note, he's a saint in my church. Not good enough for the Orthodox Church, huh? Nope. Doesn't cut cut muster. Dang it. That's tough. (laughs) But, well, if Tom is against him, I know he must be doing something right. Anyway... (laughs) <laughs> the previous, you mean like faking holes in his hands so that he could uh, invent stigma, the stigmata? Anyway, so he invented <laughs> the nativity scene after visiting Bethlehem the year before in 1222 and saw where it was thought that Jesus is born. Ever since then, a lot of Italian families have had nativities in their home. So the city of Naples is the world, is world famous for its nativity scenes known as Presepe Napolitano, which literally means Neapolitan nativity crib scenes. And the first scene in Naples is thought to go back all the way to 1025 and was in the church of S. Maria del Presepe before even St. Francis of Assisi had popularized the nativity scene. Having them in your homes became popular in the 16th century, still popular today around the world in all different facets of Christianity. and in Italy, they're put out on December 8th, but the figure of Jesus isn't put out until the evening of December 24th, which is something I don't adhere to. I put him out when I put the rest of the steam out. Right. We do not. You don't put him out at all? Not until Christmas Eve. Not until Christmas Eve. So what's, oh, yeah, what, Julia. A, what a lot of churches He's do... He's out all year. What a lot of what a lot of liturgical churches do where they have those, you know, namely in the Anglican and the uh, Roman tradition is the crash will be set up, you know, with uh, the animals and uh, the angel. And throughout the weeks of Advent, the, the Holy Family will journey throughout the church, getting closer and closer towards the manger and arrive at the uh, Christmas Eve Mass. Yeah, he arrives at the Christmas Eve Mass at my church. It's just in my home. I put him out all season long. Because Jesus is the reason for the season. That's <laughs> What's really These cool. These nativities it, are insane, by the way. I'm Googling some images and they Oh, they're are beautiful. Insane. Right. They're beautiful. So what's really cool is the nativity scene is displayed in the shape of a pyramid, which can be meters tall. And my church does it meters tall, made of several tiers of shelves and decorated with gold paper, pine cones, small candles. Small, the star is usually hung on top. And the shelves about the major scene also contain fruit, candy, and presents. And one special thing about the ne- Neapolitan nativity scenes is that they always have extra everyday people and objects, such as houses, waterfalls, food, politicians, famous people. Politicians? <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't put one in mine. (laughs) Naples currently is a home to the largest nativity scene in the world with over 600 objects in it. In Naples, there's a street of nativity scene makers called the Via San Gregorio Armino. And it's a street by wonderful handmade nativity scene decorations and figures in addition to entire scenes. So that's definitely a street I would like to visit one day. So other Italian customs... There's an old one in which children grow out carol singing and playing songs on shepherd's pipes, wearing shepherd's sandals and hats. And on Christmas Eve, it's common that no meat and sometimes no dairy is eaten. We do not adhere to this in my family. <laughs> Often a light seafood meal is eaten and then people go to midnight mass service. 
the types of fish and how they're served vary between different regions. And it, oftentimes, for many Italian Americans, there's a big Christmas Eve meal of different fishes known as the Feast of the Southern Fishes, or Esta di Sette Pesci. And the feast has its root in Southern Italy and was brought over to the USA by immigrants in the 1800s. And it's more popular here now than it is in Italy. And the common types of fish to be eaten during this feast include bacala, clams, calamari, sardines, and eel. We do not adhere to that in my family. <laughs> well, old, my, my older relatives used to, but I'm not a fish guy, as I've mentioned before, and neither is my sister, so we never did that. There are different theories as to why there are seven different fishes eaten. <laughs> uh, they represent the seven days of creation in the Bible, and others say it represents the seven holy sacraments of the Catholic Church. But there are families that have more than seven dishes. You might have nine to represent the Christian Trinity times three, 13 to represent Jesus and his disciples, or 11 for the 11 disciples without Jesus or Judas. And in Italy, when you return home from Christmas Eve mass, if it's cold, you might have a slice of Italian Christmas cake called panettone, which is mm. like a dry mm -hmm. fruity sponge cake, mm. and which is really good. If you haven't had it, you should try it. My mm -hmm. grandmother made it, makes it amazingly. Cool. And uh, it's often had with a cup of hot chocolate. Mm. The cool thing I saw back years ago on, you know, the Travels with Rick Steves show. I don't know if y'all watched that, but when he was in Italy, they were showing that um, it's one of the only times where these towns for Midnight Mass, they still use the old torch holders on buildings and they would light the torches and you would go to candlelight mass by torch light. That's yeah, cool. it's beautiful. Which looked absolutely amazing. So in Italy, Christmas celebrations start eight days before Christmas itself with special novenas. A lot of families have a seppo or a yule log, which is burned throughout the entire season, which is something obviously a lot of American families have now and a lot of families mm -hmm. around the globe. In Italian, Merry Christmas is Buon Natale. In Sicilian, which is where I'm from, it's Bon Natale. And in Latin, it's Bon or Bon Nadel. Bon Nadel. So, and Epiphany is also important in Italy. On Epiphany night, children believe that an old lady called La Bifana brings presents for them. The story about Bifana bringing presents is very similar to the story of Babushka. Children put stockings up by the fireplace for Babana to fill. In parts of Northern Italy, the three kings might bring you presents rather than Bifana. And on Christmas day, Babo Natale, which we all know from Tim Allen means Santa Claus, <laughs> might, bring them, <laughs> uh, might bring some small gifts, but the main day for present giving is epiphany. Children would write their, letter, their parents' letters for Christmas instead of writing them to Santa Claus. Oh. And in them, they'll talk about, you know, they want to wish their parents Merry Christmas, they'll promise to be good, and they'll tell their parents what gifts they want, which is, which is really sweet. I would love to save those from, from, mm -hmm. for Ellie. I also want to talk a little bit about Christmas and traditions in Germany because none of our listeners talked about German traditions, even though we have some German listeners. And I love Krampus so much, I wanted to research other German Christmas traditions. So if you would indulge me for a few more minutes. Sure. So I'm doing, I'm doing another one too, go for it. So a big part of the Christmas celebrations in Germany is Advent. And there are several different types of Advent calendars used in German homes as well as a traditional one made of card that are used in many countries. There are ones made of wreath, out of a wreath of fir tree branches, which sounds awesome, with 24 decorated boxes or bags hanging from it. Each box or bag has a little present in it. And another type is called an advent crumbs and is a ring of fir branches as four candles on it. 
This is like the advent candles that they use in churches, where one is lit at the beginning of each week of the celebration. Uh, Christmas trees are very important in Germany, as they are in most Christmas traditions around the world. They were first used during the late Middle Ages. If there are young children in the house, the trees are usually secretly decorated by the mother of the family, which is interesting. That's interesting. The Christmas tree was traditionally bought and brought into the house on Christmas Eve, and in some parts of Germany during the evening, the family would read the Bible and sing Christmas songs such as O Tannenbaum, Stille Nacht, Silent Night, Nacht, and Er Kerderline Comment. Wooden frames are sometimes covered with colored plastic sheets and with electric candles inside, and they're put into the windows to make the house look pretty from the outside rather than just the electronic battery or battery-operated candles we have here. And Christmas Eve is the main day when Germans exchange presents with families, which Christmas Eve night was the main day in my family that we exchanged with my extended family. Germany is well known for its Christmas markets, where all sorts of Christmas food and decorations are sold. But perhaps the most famous are the glass ornaments. And the glass ornaments were originally hand-blown grass and were hand-blown glass and were imported to the USA in the 1880s by Woolworth stores. The Legend of the Glass Christmas Pickle, which a listener talks about later in her recording, is famous in the USA, but it's a legend. Most people in Germany have never even heard of it. Mm -hmm. But I'll save uh, more on that for our listener to explain. Um, Side note, because we are a movie TV podcast, there is an awesome German animated special, I want to get on the list, that the ABC family used to play called Noel, about a hand-blown Christmas bauble, which is really awesome. Oh. We uh, here in Tulsa have a large German population. I did not mention this earlier, but I will interrupt and steal Anthony's thunder right now. We have a big Chris Kindle smart here in Tulsa as well. Where's ours at? The German American Society at 15th and Lewis. And it's amazing. You talk about, they have an entire giant room that's just a Fontanini nativity. Wow. It is huge and amazing. So in Eastern and Southern Germany, children will write to the Das Christkind asking for presents. And the letters are decorated with sugar glued to the envelope to make them sparkly and attractive to look at. They Ooh. leave the letters on the windowsill at the beginning or during Advent. Das Christkind translates as Christ child in English, but Germans don't think of the Christ child as baby Jesus. It's often described as a young girl with Christ-like qualities. In Nuremberg, a young girl is chosen every year to participate in a parade as a Christkind. She wears a long white and gold dress, has long blonde curly hair, and wears a gold crown and sometimes wings like an angel. This is similar to St. Lucia in Sweden, which we have talked about during the ref and Muppets. Correct. And we celebrate the Feast of St. Lucia in our home. The Nuremberg Christkind officially opens the Christmas market on the Friday before Advent starts. And before Christmas, she has over 150 official duties, including visiting hospitals, old people's homes, and children's nurseries, and has to give TV interviews and visit other cities. So while it's an honor to be chosen, it sounds like a very busy job for a child. Yeah, it does. Santa Claus or Father Christmas? Der Weichen, I'm not even going to pronounce it. Tom, how do you pronounce it? I'd have to read it. I don't know. Der Weihnachtsmann <laughs> brings a main Christmas. I feel, I feel very confident that that is not right. <laughs> <laughs> brings the main Christmas presents on December 24th. 
you could write letters to him in other parts of Germany. Some people say that Santa and Father Christmas brings a present, and some say it's a Christ kind. So it depends where you are regionally as to who delivers the gifts to children. Uh, some children also hope that Der Nicholas will bring you small gifts, such as sweets and chocolates, on the 6th of December. I, I look... Day. So Nicholas comes in the night between the 5th and the 6th and puts presents into the shoes of children who place them by the doors. He might also knock on the door and the children have to sing a song, play a song on an instrument, or tell a story to St. Nicholas before he gives them presents. So, in some regions of Germany, there's a character called Krampus, Nechtruprecht, who accompanies Nicholas on the 6th of December. He is a big horned monster clothed in rags and carries chains, meant to punish the children who have been bad. He usually is the one who scares the little children. Also, there's a huge Krampus parade in Germany, which I always see pictures of every year because it looks like something you'd see on Halloween. It looks terrifying, but it looks amazing. I really want to go one year. In other parts of Germany, St. Nicholas is followed by a small person called Schwarzer Peter, or Black Peter, who carries a small whip. He accompanies so St. racist. Yes. He accompanies St. Nicholas or Sinterklaas in the Netherlands. In Northwest Germany, Santa's joined by Belschnickel, a man dressed all in fur. Where have we heard him before? Even <laughs> impish or admirable. <laughs> Although Dare Nicholas visits in December, he's not officially part of Christmas, interestingly enough. Hmm. Uh, carp or goose are often served for the main Christmas meal. Stolen is a popular fruited yeast bread that is eaten at Christmas. So it's funny that goose is the main Christmas meal to give in on the office. Remember, Dwight wants to kill the goose in the office and cook mm-hmm. it? Yes. Mm-hmm. And over Christmas and the New Year in Germany and Austria, the famous ski jumping Four Hills tournament is held. It starts in Germany with Oberstdorf on the 29th or 30th of December and Garmisch Partenkirchen on New Year's Day and continues in Austria with Innsbruck on 3rd or 4th of January and Beistelschaffen on the 6th of January. Sorry for butchering <laughs> all of that. <laughs> but yeah, that's you know the Christmas You know version. the Christmas goose song, right? Christmas is coming, the goose is getting fat, please put a pin yeah. in the old man's hat. Oh, you know what? I didn't know that. Ellie, always, Ellie still to this day sings that Christmas is coming, the goose is getting, and she'll go flat. She thinks it's flat, not fat, <sighs> which is really cute. Uh, so I got to say, I'm a little disappointed in all of our discussions so far and in the discussion of our listeners that there have been no fecal Christmas traditions mentioned. So I'm going to go ahead and change that right now, and we're going to take a little trip to Catalonia. Talk about the Christmas poo. Which one? <laughs> I'm going to go into all their poo traditions at Christmas. They have multiple poo traditions? They have multiple poo, yeah. Cagatillo <laughs> is the poop log, and it is a log that they dress up and sing songs to. Um, and basically, they threaten the poo log. It literally, it's literally Cagatillo, which is like Uncle Log. But it's a it's a, a log that you'll decorate to look with the face and everything, and they'll sit there and sing to it to tell him basically give me presents or I'm gonna hit you with a stick, and then you beat the log until it poops out candy. Ah, it's a pinata. <laughs> you, you feed it, but it's a log, so it doesn't actually break down. And you feed it throughout the year. It's like poop log, poop toron, hazelnuts and cottage cheese. If you don't poop well, I'll hit you with a stick. Poop log. 
<laughs> uh, I'm putting the challenge out there. I want I want to know if there are any Catalonian listeners who want to send us pictures of their poop log. We're not done with we're not done with Christmas poop yet, y'all. We got to talk oh about gosh. the Cagner. We were talking when you were talking about the nativity scenes that are set up these these lavish nativity scenes with with figurines. Uh, within a Catalonian crash scene, there is always somebody with their trousers down, bent over with a pile of poop underneath their bottom. And it used to be historically, it was like a, uh, a traditional figure who had like a white shirt, black pants and hat. But now you can get, it's been around since like the 18th century. You can go, when you visit Catalonia, you can get all these different figures, like political figures pooping so you can go get like the queen of england pooping for your nativity scene so they bring in politicians to the nativity scene as well so uh as everybody here knows i am orthodox and we do christmas a little bit differently than everybody else while we maintain a lot of the western traditions we keep a lot of the traditions from the ancient christmas east in our celebration for one our christmas fast we call the nativity fast fast of saint philip or uh, those of us who have adapted some Western nomenclature, still call it Advent, starts on November 15th. Starts earlier than in the West. So we have a full 40-day fast leading up to Nativity. And um, during this time, a lot of Orthodox people make what's called a, it's a more modern adaptation, but it's called a Jesse tree, where you bring, you make little ornaments of Old Testament figures that either prefigure or prophesy Christ, and you put those on a little tree. And you teach your kids that way about the coming of Jesus, because the time before Christmas is not the celebration of the birth of Christmas, but the anticipate, anticipate, anticipation. We, um, like the West, use Advent as a time for reflection to remember what it was like for those who lived before Christ, who were looking for the Messiah, so that we can properly be in a mindset to celebrate and try to join in the celebration of the coming of the Messiah with them. Um, we don't, you know, we we see it as as living through the this incarnational reality now that Christ has come as incarnate and um, return the world to its state that it was before. We don't typically say Merry Christmas to one another. It's just not part of the tradition. The Orthodox say to one another when we greet during the nativity season, the um, Christ is born. And then the typical response is glorify him in response. Like that's how we respond, which I absolutely love. And then you know, then the rest of the stuff, it kind of varies, depends on where you're from. But one thing that I really like in um, uh, Aristotelius Square of Thessalonica is this, they do, uh, it's, they do, they have a giant Christmas tree in the square, but they also do these huge lighted sail, sailing ships. And it's just, it's just absolutely beautiful um, because it's a fishing port, you know, the 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 sh the fishing industry and the shipping industry is so important to their way of life but all i think every orthodox culture i've looked at the sweets like everywhere else are really big at christmas and i love the fact that in greece it's baklava is a very important part of the christmas feast mm. most most greek families have baklava so that's something we're incorporating into our family because you know Baklava is delicious, and I can yeah, it's delicious. I can write it off as somehow being part of our tradition. <laughs> um, a lot of people, like in the Greek culture, for Christmas they will uh, eat lamb or pork. 
because you know we've been fasting from meat for so long people get really excited um and uh in other countries that have a traditional um eastern christian flair like uh have different traditions so like southern india they will place uh at night they place lamps lighted lamps uh oil lamps on the top of their houses to remind people of the coming of the light of christ to the world in the yeah. in the darkest of times which i absolutely love and i think it's beautiful but i would be afraid of burning down my house sure um, yeah right I, my particular jurisdiction or or affiliation with an orthodoxy is we are antiochian orthodox you know the book of acts says they were first called christians in antioch and we take great pride in that um, mm -hmm. that being our tradition going back to our first bishop being um saint peter and in the traditional antiochian area there's a christmas is a big celebration uh, i don't know are y'all familiar with dubkey dancing dubkey yeah like this very elaborate fun high energy middle eastern dance that we do at all of our orthodox gatherings like when we have our festivals it's amazing to watch but that's something that happens um in a circle typically in people's homes and they'll use native percussion instruments when they're celebrating there's what's called a they have these big feasts again just like everywhere else food is is integral um, but instead of you know like doing a lamb or something a lot of middle eastern orthodox people will make kibbe pies which is like the national dish of lebanon it's like a minced meat and bulgur wheat and it's so good and one of the things i miss the most at christmas it'll be served uh with warm yogurt sauce which is symbolic of snow um, and then they'll have you know um hashwa which is like a nutty meaty rice turkey chicken which is very spicy a tabula um, and then of course tons of hummus and tahini salads it's just absolutely amazing and then because of the french influence they'll have um some french desserts and they do depending on which languages and which part of lebanon you're in you'll have the french influence of papa noel come or uh, baba noel for uh, another dialect and merry christmas or like the the christ is born is eid milad mashad which is how they say in arabic yeah there's a little bit but we um in our home in particular we've blended some traditions because i became orthodox pretty young and come from a family without all i think we've talked about this i don't we didn't have a lot of traditions but we've adapted a lot of the eastern traditions but christine comes from a tradition that has comes from a religious upbringing that has a lot more traditions so we still do things like the um, advent wreath and incorporate some western traditions into our home too but for us the nativity season the nativity fast and nativity season um really does focus on either the coming of Christ or the celebration of the birth of Jesus. So we got loads of other traditions from our listeners, local state traditions and foreign traditions. So we tried to arrange these in an order that made sense, starting in America, then kind of traveling around the world before coming back to America. So let's start off by hearing from our good friend, Ron Hogan, AKA President Hot Dog from Louisville, Kentucky, who is going to talk about some local Louisville Christmas traditions. Hey, Tis the Podcast listeners. I'm Ron, a.k.a. President Hot Dog, from the Filmstrip Podcast, and I'm here to tell you about the holiday traditions of my hometown, Louisville, Kentucky. 
Louisville is less a city and more a collection of neighborhoods held together by the forces of politics and geography. And as such, there are a lot of neighborhood rivalries, particularly around the Christmas season. For the old-fashioned, there's the rivalry between Old Louisville's Victorian Christmas, which features tour guides in Dickensian garb leading candlelit tours through and into the country's largest remaining Victorian neighborhood, and the old-time Christmas, that's old with an E, and time with a Y, that takes place on Frankfurt Avenue and features wandering carolers, carriage rides, and a parade of dogs in festive costumes. Because nothing says old-time Christmas like a dog in a costume. For the younger set, there's the Louisville tradition Bardstown Road Aglow, which features local businesses, bars, and restaurants decorated for the holidays with special sales on food, street performers, and a charity cocktail competition featuring the most festive holiday drinks you can imagine. We're talking spice cider, we're talking cranberry punch, we're talking peppermint everything. It's amazing. That competes with New Lou's Jingle Fest, which features more food and drink specials, hipster holiday happenings, and the Miracle on Market Holiday Pop-Up Bar, which comes highly recommended by yours truly, especially if you like Christmas karaoke and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, which who doesn't? However, there's a thing Louisville does that happens nowhere else in the world, and that's lights under Louisville. Enterprising local business leaders turned a former limestone mine into 17 miles of underground storage, commercial space, zip lines, obstacle courses, a dirt bike and motocross track, and every holiday season, a section of it is transformed into a weather-safe Christmas wonderland. Lights Under Louisville is a half-hour drive-through attraction featuring 850 holiday displays, 3 million lights, and lines stretching from the entrance of the caves all the way back onto I-65, much to the chagrin of local commuters. However, if the thought of being stuck underground is too much for you, then there's a competing light extravaganza that transforms a half mile of Iroquois Park, designed by Frederick Law Olmsted of Central Park fame, into the Winter Wood Spectacular, which also features hundreds of handmade holiday displays and millions of twinkling lights. See, I told you, Louisville's neighborhoods are very competitive. Those we sounded a, awesome. We should have a Tits the Podcast meetup in Louisville, Kentucky at Christmas. Meet up you. That lights kinda, under Louisville sounds like the coolest. You know, well, Lime Stone Mine? <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're talking, you know, a booze contest. How can you not be told? <laughs> uh, plus that winter wood spectacular he was talking about. Who? I mean, the whole thing sounds so Christmassy. Yeah. Like... President Hopdog, please share all the photos of us this year and like videos and whatever because and you know Victorian Christmas versus old time Christmas and Jingle Fest and it just sounds so cheery and festive and I love it. I want to go there. I mean that <laughs> I sounds good for me. That does too. And I can honestly say that's the first time I will ever have said I wanted to go to Kentucky. <laughs> Kentucky is an absolutely beautiful state. It's a hidden gem. I would not feel at home in Middle America. So. No. Somewhere I will feel at home, however, is 
in California, where our next yeah. listener is from. Alexia, aka Alex, submitted a recording in which she talked about her personal Christmas traditions, which were inspired by her Italian family and her husband's German family. So why don't we take a listen to that right now? My name is Alex and I live in California, but I'm half Italian. And so growing up, whenever we got together with the Italian side of the family, it could be Thanksgiving, it could be Christmas, we would always have homemade raviolis with whatever other traditional food we were eating and sometimes spaghetti with homemade pesto sauce. So that is my family tradition memory growing up. And then I married my husband, Rob, who's part German, and he grew up hiding the pickle ornament in the Christmas tree, and the child that found it got to open the first present. So I was looking up this tradition in preparation for this recording, and it seems that in most families, the child that finds the ornament gets an extra present. That's not how my husband did it growing up. And then in my research, I found that it was probably invented by a salesperson and it's not actually a real tradition that originates in Germany. But his family's part German and that's what they did growing up. So that's what I got him for our first Christmas together was a pickle ornament. And now we hang it every year. California. Here we come. Anybody know uh, the band? Yeah. Oh, why does that uh, sound familiar? Planet, Fa- Phantom Planet. Phantom Planet. Alex Greenwald, the bully from Donnie Darko, and Jason Schwartzman. So you want to talk about how hunger, Julia, her homemade yeah. ravioli and spaghetti with pesto sauce sounds Yep. Awesome. Yeah. I can't even with that. I get so hungry listening to a lot of these submissions. And um, I have a she friend. Cooked, she summer- debunked the pickle myth. Yeah, it's so funny that you had mentioned that, and then there it is. And it was the first I've ever heard. I thought it was genuinely, a, I mean, a German thing, but it was funny to hear her say that it was probably invented by a salesman just to sell a bunch of people. Oh, crap. It, Somehow the her. salesperson read glass pickles. What am I going to do with glass pickles? <laughs> It's interesting, though, that her husband played it where the child who finds it gets to open the first present or extra present, extra present in his family, right? Extra present, yep. No, they did first present in their they did family. Fr- they did oh. first Yeah, present. some families do that the kid finds the pickle gets an extra present, which seems unfair. Cooler. I don't know, that sounds pretty cool. That sounds pretty neat. Like that. It has to be a generic made, present. Made for tons of fighting. If you're Unless you're the younger child and the older <laughs> sibling always finds it. That's true. I'm an older sibling, right. so I would have been in that winning boat, but it would still be really frustrating <laughs> if you were the younger one, right? <laughs> so, our next listener, Lauren Simone from New York, used to work with her, she's a friend, talks about a personal Christmas tradition, which I like because it relates oh to gosh. our podcast. So, let's take a listen. <laughs> Hi guys, it's Lauren from New York, and at my house around Christmas time, my mother, sister, and I always sit down to play romantic Christmas movie bingo. 
What we do is we take our bingo cards and we take slips of paper we printed out and fill them in to make them however we think this what's gonna be in the movie. So things like precocious child, actual Santa, rich fiance, stuff like that. And we watch the movie and if something comes up, we take it off and whoever gets bingo first wins a point. And whoever has the most points at the end wins the prize, which is always a cheesy Hallmark ornament. That's our Christmas tradition. Merry Christmas in July. Romantic Christmas movie bingo? How awesome did that sound? Does that yeah, sound? so we're doing this from now on. I've got to adopt this in my own family with my mom and some <laughs> other girlfriends we can get together. Because, like, legit, how fun does that game sound to you? Let's come up with, as a group, let's give our listeners a Christmas present. Let's give them downloadable romantic Christmas movie bingo cards that they can download from the website. I think fun. that's how we need to cover Hallmark movies from now on. We I do. Make we it do. more bearable. Yeah. Bingo. Yeah, you could do it with points or you could do it with drinks. Let's just face it. It's built for a drinking game. It's built for a drinking mm-hmm. game. Uh, Tis a podcast after dark episode, I think, on Patreon. <laughs> I particularly like that some of the some of the uh, cards she used as an example, some of the bingo squares, bingo words. essentially, is like rich fiance or precocious child, and that the <laughs> gift is a cheesy Hallmark ornament, which I wouldn't, I wouldn't hate that. I wouldn't. So our next submission comes from somebody whose voice you've heard before, Matt Yurick, a.k.a. Gary Blauman on Reddit from the Chicagoland <laughs> area. And he talks about his mother's side of the family's Slavic tradition. So let's take a listen. Hey there, elves. This is Matt, otherwise known as Gary Blauman from Reddit. Wanted to wish you guys and everybody else a very Merry Christmas in July. Now, I'm from the Chicagoland area, and while I don't have anything that is inherently specific to this area in terms of Christmas traditions, my mother's side of the family is Slovak, and one of the things that we do each and every year, and one thing that I look forward to each and every year, is a very particular pastry baked good called Rojak, or at least that's what I've always been told it is called. It is similar in a way almost to a cinnamon roll where you take a dough, you press it out, you make it flat, and instead of putting cinnamon and sugar on top of it, it it has a variety of different fruit fillings, whether it's raspberry filling, apricot filling, which is one of my favorites, a nut filling. There's a variety of different ways that this can go. You would lay it down, you roll it up, you bake it like a loaf, and then you cut it into little pinwheels. It's something we had every single Christmas morning always reminds me of Christmas whenever I get the chance to eat it. It's one of my favorite things. It's a tradition in our family. It's something that that all of us really look forward to each and every year getting a chance to eat it. And I'm also excited that I've been able to introduce my girlfriend's side of the family to it. They also love it as well. So it's always been a very, very special thing for myself and for my family. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't really have much more than that to add to the mix, but I am very happy that we've all had a chance to connect here and we get a chance to connect on Reddit. We get a chance to connect on Facebook and in the Facebook group and on Twitter, Instagram, all those fun places. So thanks again, guys, for doing what you do. And thanks for all the awesome listeners who interact and all this stuff too. Have a very, very happy Christmas in July. Y'all, we have to stop doing these kind of conversations at 10.30 at night. It is not a good time to be salivating. I (laughs) have gone through 
this giant tea because my mouth is so dry. <laughs> I have never really, I, I spent, well, let me phrase it. I spent the beginning of the Christmas season one year for work in Chicago and it's absolutely Beautiful. I mean, there's a reason that if the usually if a Christmas movie is not set in New York, it's set in Chicago, right? But Chicago. I never, yeah, yeah. Awesome. I never thought about like all the the Polish delicacies, all the the you know the different little districts, and how deliciously amazing those would be to visit at Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I know Rojak sounds pretty cool. Sounds so good. It sounds like a superhero. And listeners that don't know Gary Blauman, connect with him on our social medias. The guy's hilarious. He's a good yeah, man. Yeah, he is. I mean, a lot, like a lot of most of our listeners, are, all of our listeners are. Who are we kidding? We have the best listeners in the world, and I stand by that. So our next submission comes from Manny Torres from Puerto Rico, who talks about some local Puerto Rican traditions. And I know Julia loves this one because of the voice. Yeah, if Manny could just like say all the words from now on that would be awesome just forever and ever so, so let's take a listen hello my name is manny torres and i'm from the beautiful island of puerto rico here are my point of my points of view of christmas in puerto rico as we grow up, we have practically the longest Christmas in the world. It'll start from around Thanksgiving or let's say right after Halloween. And it'll extend eight days after January 6th. Uh, as all the Christmases, traditions include food, arroz con gandules, which is rice with peas. Lechon, which is uh, pork. We roast um, the pig, um, which we call it lechon asado, lechon asado en la vara. We have pasteles, which is made out of bananas, and coquito, which is our Puerto Rican version of the eggnog, which nowadays we have it in so many different flavors, but always the it's from coconut, coquito, coconut. And nowadays we have, like I said, different flavors. Uh, growing up, we are traditionally taught to believe in Santa Claus and also in the three wise men. Santa Claus, uh, same, 24 to 25th of December, he'll come. And January 6th, the three wise men would come, always celebrating the birth of baby Jesus. We have what we call parrandas, which in the States, uh, we it's caroling, but in Puerto Rico, parrandas is you go with a lot of musical instruments. It's very tropical and you go from house to house um, traditionally overnight, like really, really late hours at night that most people are already sleeping and we'll get up from bed once we hear the parranda and the music playing and we'll wait for, you know few minutes to hear the songs here and there and then we will turn on the lights and let them know that yeah we're going out we're going to receive them and out of nowhere drinks start coming from all over the place food start coming from all over the place and naturally the homeowner or yeah well the homeowner he would be the one to make el asopao which is a uh, soup chicken soup at that time 
Uh, people have been driving. They've been singing all night. So you go from house to house, different foods. But once you get a lasso pao, you know that's it. That's you know your last stop, and it's pra- probably the the best soup uh, there is. Uh, me myself, growing up, I always love uh, looking at the Toys R Us catalogs. There's so many things I wanted from there, and I don't know. I mean, I don't remember being taught about not marking all of them because there were so many things that I wanted. I guess my mom uh, taught me and my little brother to how to ask Santa for gifts, basically. And even though there were thousands of things we wanted, the ones that we did mark, we got. Um, it was never disappointed. Um, after I grew up, I found out where Santa Claus came from, and I was so happy that I was able to get the stuff that I wanted. And very curious why I didn't get always the most expensive ones, but whatever it was, I enjoyed and I had. So in that part, I am I'm, I'm very thankful. And then on January 6th, uh, January 5th, during the afternoon and night, we go and pick some grass up. Just like in the U.S., you leave milk and cookies for Santa. So on January 5th, we go and pick uh, grass up. We put it in a shoebox and we leave it under or to the side of the bed for the camels that are bringing the three wise men. And when we wake up in the morning, the grass would be gone from the box and there would be gifts next to it. And the food, the gifts, the parties, the parrandas, it's its awesome. And I could probably get my own episode of the podcast if I went into detail with our long, long Christmas in Puerto Rico. And, well, thanks to Tiz the Podcast, I keep my Christmas spirit all year long. Can I just start off with saying that whoever thought Puerto Rico had the longest Christmas celebration in the world? And at first I was like, everybody says that, but listening to him talk like legit, they do. Um, I mean, he starts eight days. He starts after Halloween. I mean, personally putting stuff up, but the celebrations just keep stacking up. And if I wasn't hungry with Gary Blamans, I'm like super hungry now because he talks about pasteles, roasted pig, Puerto Rican eggnog. Have y'all heard of what? I had never heard of that. That was yes. No. And yes, it's I coconutty. Mm-hmm. That sounds I mean, awesome. I've never tried try it, that. but I have some Puerto Rican friends who talked about it. And I yeah, would try that. Awesome. I would totally try it. I also liked it. It reminded me of <clears throat> mummering, which we'll actually talk about here in a few submissions. But the Puerto Rican um, parandas, which is the caroling house to house, but they do it like super late at night, like wake people up doing it which I kind of liked a lot and then they didn't you'd invite them into your house and then you knew it was time to be done when they served you that Elaso Pao that that soup that they served you and when you got the soup it was them saying you're done okay <laughs> go I mean, to bed I think we've all had house guests that we need this soup for right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I'm just so gonna crazy. say this if anybody in the Puerto Rican government is listening, you should be hiring Manny to do some some serious advocacy. Tourism ads. Yeah, absolutely. He, Not even he just ads, just so talk, much information. 
Yeah, well, he, he makes does. he got me excited about Puerto Rico. Yeah, I never really thought much about Puerto Rico. Nothing, ni- neither way. But uh, I'm like, wow, they have. It's just not a very. It doesn't feel like it'd be a Christmassy place. But he makes it sound so Christmassy. Right, right. I want to go. So about the about the Puerto Rican eggnog. I haven't had this, but there is some. Um, so another cool tradition in Tulsa is the nog off every year. It's a group of downtown businesses compete to have the best eggnog. In the last several years, we have an Ecuadorian restaurant that has made an Ecuadorian eggnog called Que Gusta in the Tulsa Arts District. And it is amazing. I'm wondering if the Puerto Rican eggnog tastes like it. I found a couple of recipes for Puerto Rican eggnog that I'm tempted to make this week. I mean, if it's sure. a coconut base, I'm all about it. Right? That's just amazing. Oh, yeah. So let's journey away from Christmas for a minute and hear from one of our Jewish listeners who you've heard multiple times on this show before, April Riley, who's from North Carolina, who's going to teach us a little bit about Hanukkah. My name is April from North Carolina. Um, While everyone else is going to tell you about their Christmas traditions, I'm going to tell you a little bit about our Hanukkah traditions. Hanukkah is an eight-day-long Jewish festival, um, usually sometime the month of December, although it can start as early as November. Um, It varies from year to year when it is. Um, It celebrates the the olive oil and lamps in the temple um, that was supposed to last one night but ended up lasting eight nights. Um, So we celebrate that by lighting uh, what's called a Hanukkah or a menorah every night until all eight candles are lit on the eighth night. Um, With four kids, each kid has their own Hanukkah, so it becomes a little bit of a fire hazard by the end of the eighth night um, with four different Hanukkahs and nine different candles in each, uh, nine candles lit in each one. also to celebrate the oil, we tend to eat a lot of fried foods during Hanukkah, so donuts are a big deal. Um, also latkes, which are fried potato pancakes. Um, we have eight days of presents. Um, usually they're small presents, and um, every day the kids get to open one present um, on Hanukkah, and that lasts all eight days. Unless ha- Christmas happens to fall um, during Hanukkah, and then they open just Christmas presents. They don't open any Hanukkah presents. Um, so years like last year when Christmas fell during Hanukkah, um, you kind of get out of buying extra presents for Hanukkah. Um, So that's pretty much all I have with traditions for Hanukkah. Uh, Happy Christmas in July. I mean, again, with the food, right? Mm -hmm. didn't realize all of our our holidays are so entrenched with food and it's, it's, it's such an integral part of culture. It seems like there's some sort of draw to all these people, including like Anthony here, when they're talking about their holidays. I mean, it makes more sense for Hanukkah because it's a Jewish holiday and it's one of the things that brings these people who have lived in a diaspora for so long together. But we're all drawn back to our cultural roots at Christmas, right? There's, It's not just that, that nostalgia that we feel, that ghost of Christmas past hug, but it's like, it's part of our, the fabric of who we are. Our DNA draws us, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I will say, I will say, it sounds like her house is a bit of a fire hazard with one menorah for each of them, for each of them, <laughs> six menorahs in that house. Or <laughs> I like that she called that out. I know. Just from what we know about April, I feel like her house is, doesn't need the menorahs to be, you know, one step away from some sort of cataclysmic disaster. <laughs> that just sounds like an everyday occurrence at her house. And that's said with love, obviously. 
It is. It just sounds like she's got so much going on and, you know, her kids are so involved and everything. It just seems like it's just waiting for an explosion. But, I mean, that's so cool. She has a separate one for each kid. Like, mm -hmm. it is Do y'all have menorahs? I don't mm -hmm. know. We bought one a couple years ago so that we could teach Jelly about Hanukkah. And we haven't done any of the lighting stuff or anything, but it's just kind of, we have it to show her how it works and how they believe and stuff. Mm -hmm. Teach religious tolerance from a young age. It's a great idea. So traveling to the land up north, specifically to Newfoundland, Canada, shout out to my in-laws who live up there. We have Nicole Little, who I became friends with on Twitter before we started this podcast, but this is my first time ever hearing her voice, which is pretty awesome. Really? And she talks about something I brought up on the show multiple times, mummering. So let's take a listen. Hey everyone, my name is Nicole Little and I am from Newfoundland, which is a small province on the east coast of Canada. Mummering used to be a very popular Christmas time tradition practiced here in Newfoundland, mostly in the smaller rural communities along the coast. For reasons that will quickly become apparent, it is not common practice these days, which is understandable of course but sad all the same for those of us who remember it fondly. My grandparents referred to it both as mummering and jannying. Typically, it would involve a group of friends or family members who would get together and dress in costumes or disguises and visit homes within their community during the 12 days of Christmas. They would knock very loudly on a neighbor's door and ask if any mummers were allowed in. Once you were invited into a home, the homeowners then had to try and guess just who you might be. To make this a challenge for them, the mummers would stuff their costumes to make themselves look bigger. Women would dress as men and vice versa. They would cover their faces in scarves or masks or even old bedsheets, and they would either change their voice or sometimes not even speak at all. If the host were to correctly guess the mummer's real identity, the mummer would then remove their face coverings and everyone would have a drink and a dance. I can remember my parents doing this when I was a small child in the early 80s when mummering was still common practice where I lived, a tiny community called Melrose with a population of less than a thousand. My dad still tells the story about that one Christmas when him, my mom, and a group of their friends went mummering together. They spent quite some time at the first house, and my dad's costume was so good that no one was able to guess who he was. They asked him questions, but he didn't speak a word. His face was covered, and it was quite hot where he was, sat next to the wood stove. He said he would have dearly loved a cold drink, but since no one was able to guess who he was, He'd just have to wait until he moved along to the next house. I suppose you could say that Dad won, but near heatstroke really wasn't much of a prize. There is a really wonderful song by a Newfoundland band by the name of Simonai. The song is called Any Mummers Loud In. It just isn't Christmas without it. My kids love to dress up in silly costumes and dance around while the song plays over and over. I like to think that in some small way we're helping to keep the tradition alive. 
There's also a beautiful old video that accompanies the song. You can find that on YouTube, which perfectly illustrates the mummering tradition. I would really encourage you to give it a look so you can see for yourself just how special it really is. Thank you so much for listening. I've really enjoyed sharing a small part of us with all of you. So Nicole is actually the one, she was one of the people I got in the ornament swap we did last Christmas. And I got a mummering or a mummer ornament to hang on my tree. And I think about her every time I look at it. She is an awesome storyteller. Like she Yes, is she a, is. Well, she, she is, is a good a, storyteller. She's a published author. She has several short stories published in anthologies, including a Christmas horror story, which I told Ooh. her I would love to talk to her about on the podcast sometime, maybe around October, like for Patreon oh, yeah. or something. But uh, yeah, she's an awesome storyteller. Nicole, I love your accent. Yes, it's so beautiful. And, and it's uh, funny, her dad was so good murmuring that he about had heat stroke because <laughs> he couldn't unwrap because nobody knew who he was <laughs> yeah that is awesome funnily enough one of the newer christmas podcasts out there is seasons eatings podcast done by glenn warren who is a longtime listener of all these christmas shows who and he's also from newfoundland canada even though he doesn't live there right now mm-hmm. so let's take a listen to what he has to say because he expands on murmuring a bit but also gets into some other Newfoundland Christmas traditions. Hello, this is Glenn Warren from the Seasons Eatings podcast, the podcast that explores the origins and history of your favorite Christmas foods. One of the great things about the holidays is the gatherings and celebrations that happen throughout the season. We gather together to share food in a warm kitchen and share stories and songs with friends old and new. I'm originally from Newfoundland, Canada's easternmost province. Its rich history combines many different cultures and traditions, and here are some of the great Christmas traditions us Newfoundlanders partake in during the holidays. It's not uncommon to start the holiday parties on December 23rd or Tibbs Eve. Because Christmas Eve is still a part of Advent and that observance was almost as sober as Lent, most traditional Christians would never consider taking a nip before Christmas Day prior to World War II, which was even then perhaps a little early. Tibbs Eve, or sometimes called Tipsy Eve, became a lighthearted means to extend the season. So that explains how Tibbs Eve became associated with December 23rd, but the phrase itself holds the key to its Christmas time connection. One of the traditional ways of reputing what Tibbs Eve was, when a kid would ask, when's Tibbs Eve, was to say, oh, it's neither before nor after Christmas. Meaning that it's between the fasting time of Advent and the joyous time of Christmas celebrations. After the season of Christmas begins, many people will dress in disguise and travel from door to door asking, any mummers loud in? If the mummers were welcomed into a house, they often do a variety of informal performances that may include a dance, music, jokes, or recitations. The host must guess the mummers' identities before offering food or drink. They may poke and prod the mummers or ask questions. To make this a challenge for the host, the mummers may stuff their costumes or cross-dress or speak while inhaling. Once the mummers have been identified, they remove their disguises, spend some social time with the hosts, 
and then travel as a group to the next home. Mummering is believed to have started during the reign of King Henry VIII. During the 12 days of Christmas, on the sixth day, people would travel door to door in disguise and the owner of the house would have the guess who they were. The people in disguise had to keep mum, that is, keep quiet, unless their voice would give them away. It's where the phrase, mum's the word, comes from. Finally, the Christmas season ends on Old Christmas Day, January 7th. This date is liturgically the Feast of the Epiphany and signals the beginning of the third part of the church's Christmas season, that is, Advent, Christmas proper, and Epiphany. The comparatively recent name Old Christmas stems from the 1752 reorganization of the calendar when 12 days were dropped from the calendar. The following year, purists said the real Christmas Day was not on December 25th, but January 6th, 365 days after the previous Christmas. The knowledge of the old style has led some Newfoundlanders to name Old Old Christmas Day, January 18th, as the real end of the season. Old Christmas Day meant you hung up your stocking and had a feast again for supper. The celebration is meant to send off the Christmas season the same way it came in. Whatever you celebrate, Newfoundland's traditions for the Christmas season start and end the same, with friends and family. And for some, Christmas never completely goes away. So having spent Christmas up there multiple times since being married to Sarah, Tibbs Eve is like what the night before Thanksgiving is in America, like the biggest drinking night of the year, you know? Is the night before Thanksgiving a big drinking night? It's the most, yeah, it's the biggest drinking night of the year, the best night for business and bars and clubs and everything like that. Yep. Really? Night before Thanksgiving? It kicks off the long four-day holiday weekend. Uh, So Tibbs Eve is loads of fun. Tipsy Eve. It sounded fun. Tipsy Mm -hmm. Eve. Yeah, it sounds fun. I mean, all these places, it makes me want to travel. Like, I want to travel anyway, but like, I would really want to travel for this. It sounds like it'd just be, yeah, like tons of fun. I remember you bringing it up, too. That's another place y'all can visit with me one year since I spent Christmas up there sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Does Does your family celebrate old Christmas Day in Newfoundland or does Sarah's family at all? They do not, but it sounds pretty cool. Yeah. We go mummering, celebrate Tim's Eve, be fun. It would be a lot of fun. Sticking in Canada, but traveling to the mainland, we have Claude Belanger. I probably butchered his name again after he just complimented me on the pronunciation last time. Uh, from Loretto, Ontario. And he talks a little bit about Boxing Day and Christmas Eve spreads. Hey, how's it going to the podcast? This is Claude Belanger. I'm from Loretto, Ontario, Canada. It's a small town just north of Toronto. And I'm going to share with you a Canadian Christmas tradition that sort of comes the day after. I've done my research. I do not think the U.S. does this. I know a couple countries might. It's called Boxing Day. And what happens is the day after Christmas... There are blowout sales, much like Black Friday there, which we have Black Friday here, but it's just something I think that has been around longer than Black Friday. I'm not sure really, but I know it's a Canadian thing and gifts are always great on Christmas, but when you got money or gift certificates when you were a kid, you can go the next day with your friends or your parents, depending what age you were, 
and you can get a really good deal on the shoes you wanted, the video games you wanted. It was really awesome. And I know that's one Canadian Christmas tradition that's been around since I can remember, and I'm 34. I'd also just like to share a personal tradition that we'd always do. I have no idea if people in Canada do it. People everywhere might do it. Um, my mom would always put out on Christmas Eve a spread of finger foods, just appetizer foods the night before. It would fill the entire dinner table. Egg rolls, shrimp, um, little pizza bites, anything that you can imagine just, just piled. And we would get so stuffed. And we'd also decorate the tree on Christmas Eve. I would never do that now because I need to decorate the tree latest third week of November because we're all Christmas nuts, right? But anyway, hopefully this message wasn't too long. And I love the podcast. I hope you guys keep it up. I love all of you. And happy Christmas in July. Oh, man, I am starving. <laughs> okay. How much fun does that sound to have? And I think he made it sound like it was his own personal family tradition, right? That his mom on Christmas Eve just puts out this gigantic spread of finger foods, like little egg rolls. And like, I imagine like little pizza bites, like, yeah, like, give me that mm-hmm. one as a mother. How easy would that be? Okay. And like, how much fun would that be? So I'm throwing this out here to all our listeners, and I've wanted to do this since we talked to Todd, and he told us about Cookie Day. Oh yeah. If you have, if you all have these big food days leading up to Christmas, the three of us will go on tour and do live shows from your house just to get invited <laughs> to these feasts. Yes. Putting putting that out there right now. So if anyone wants to issue an invite, uh, also I find it very unfair. America is like one of the only countries that does not celebrate Boxing Day. Yeah, like what the hey. You think our retailers at least would have jumped on that. Right. Well, yeah, right. day after Christmas sales, I guess, is a thing. But Boxing Day sounds so much cooler. You get the day off. And plus yeah. it, you know, obviously derives from boxing up the leftovers for less fortunate people. So I always right. thought our family celebrated it, but that's because we had fist fights on the day after. And I thought that meant <laughs> <laughs> So let's travel to Ethiopia where Charlene is going to talk about Ethiopian traditions for us. Hello, my name is Charlene Lewis and I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which is in the United States. And I decided to adopt a country and I decided to choose a country in Africa because I am African-American and I do not know where my direct ancestors are from, so I randomly chose the country of Ethiopia. And as a little disclaimer, I will probably butcher the language and the pronunciation of some of these words, phrases, and names, so I would like to apologize up front to the people of Ethiopia. (laughs) Ethiopia, and especially the Ethiopian Orthodox Tewahedu Church, celebrate Christmas on January 7th, not December 25th. The Ethiopian calendar has different months than our traditional calendar, and Christmas is on the 29th of Tassas, or the Ethiopians. Many people in Ethiopia take part in a special Advent fast during the 43 days before Christmas. It starts on the 25th of November 
and is known as the Fast of the Prophets, or Somme Nebiat. During this time, traditionally only one vegan meal is eaten each day. It's a vegan meal because during the fast, foods including meat, dairy, eggs, and wine aren't eaten. The Christmas celebration in the Ethiopian Orthodox Church is called Ghana or Gena. For Ghana, people get dressed in white. Most people wear a traditional garment called a netala. It's a thin white cotton piece of cloth with brightly colored stripes across the ends. It's worn like a shawl or a toga. If you live in a big town or a city, you might wear traditional, like our traditional Western clothes. People go to church on mass on Christmas Eve. This is called the Gahad of Christmas. This starts at 6 p.m. and the service finishes at about 3 a.m. on Christmas Day. The choir sings from the outer circle. Everyone goes to the church for the Ghana celebrations and they're given a candle. The people walk around the church three times in a solemn procession holding the candles and they then go to the circle to stand during the service. The men and boys are separated from the women and girls. The center circle is the most important and holy place in the church and is where the priest serves the Holy Communion or Mass. Around the time of Ghana, the men and boys play a game that is also called Ghana. It's played with a curved stick and a round wooden ball, and it's a bit like hockey. It's also traditionally taught in Ethiopia that the one of the wise men who visited Jesus came from Ethiopia. The traditional Christmas foods in Ethiopia include wat, which is a thick and spicy stew that contains meat, vegetables, and sometimes eggs. Wat is eaten on a plate of injera, of flatbread. Pieces of injera are used as an edible spoon to scoop up the wat. 12 days after Ghana, on, on the 19th of January, Ethiopians start the three-day celebration of Timkat. It celebrates the baptism of Jesus. Children walk to church services in a procession. They wear the crowns and robes of the church youth groups that they belong to. Adults wear the netala. The priests wear red and white robes and carry embroidered fringed umbrellas. Musical instruments are played during the Timcat procession. The sistrum is a percussion instrument with tinkling metal discs, a bit like a vertical tambourine. A makamaya a long T-shaped prayer stick is used to keep the rhythm and also used by the priests and a stick to lean on during the long Timcat church service. Ethiopian men also play a sport call, called Yafaras Gux. It's played on horseback and the men throw ceremonial lances at each other. People don't give and receive presents during Ghana and Timcat. Sometimes children might be given a small gift of some clothes from their family members, but it's more a time for going to church and eating a lot and playing games. Santa Claus is fairly a recent visitor to Ethiopia, only being known about through our Western Christmas traditions. In the Amharic language, Father Christmas, or Santa Claus, is called Yagana Abat, which means Christmas Father. Happy or Merry Christmas in Amharic is Malakam Gena. Thank you for listening and Malakam Gena. Merry Christmas.
first of all, that was so detailed and so yeah. interesting. Like, I love Charlene. I love Charlene too. She's so easy to listen to. She's such an awesome person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love Ethiopian food. I just, I love Ethiopian food. Have y'all been to Ethiopian restaurants? Do we still have a place in Tulsa? We do. Well, pre-COVID we did. Is it by ORU? Uh-huh. What's it 61st, called? 61st and Lewis. Uh, I don't know. The Ethiopian place. I've been there and it's delicious. It is. I love their take on the universal like tortilla slash sponge bread stuff or the slash pita. I like the sponginess. Um, Interesting story about that Ethiopian restaurant in Tulsa. Uh, Hannah was like six months old or something. Anyway, Marty and I had to go to a doctor's appointment together. We had to go somewhere. Hannah was not with us. And so we ate and we checked out. There was this beautiful, delightful woman checking us out. And she uh, asked how far along I was. I'm like, well, my daughter's six months old, so that puts me in the negative, right? <laughs> she was like, oh, I'm so sorry. That's a beautiful ring. <laughs> and I was like, it's all good. <laughs> she was sweet, though. It was a nice little save there at the end. So the traditional religion in Ethiopia, like the traditional Christian faith, is the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if y'all know this, but Bob Marley died Orthodox. He became, he converted to Ethiopian Orthodox. I didn't oh. know that. And was an active member, yes. Huh. I love the oh. way, I, I love their, like with their their tradition, their religious traditions. It's a very reverent and beautiful religious tradition. Mm-hmm. Also, Charlene, oh. I don't know, you nailed how to say, as far as I know, Merry Christmas in Ethiopian. Melkam Ghana, Charlene, sorry if I butcher that, but it was beautiful hearing you speak it. Her voice is just nice to hear. Yeah, it is. Yeah. We need to get her on the show proper. She's done a lot for our show. Yeah. And she's like been the OG listener forever. We need to get her an actual episode. So traveling all the way around the globe to Australia, we got a little bit from Rachel Poole, another mm-hmm. longtime listener. Let's take a good listen. Hi, Anthony, Julia, and Tom. It's Rachel from Australia here. Christmas for us happens during the hottest time of the year, so families usually spend Christmas Day at the beach or playing cricket or football in the backyard. Besides the turkey, most Aussies will have seafood and salads on the menu, and it wouldn't be Christmas without our beloved pavlova and ice cream. I've been asked that we can feel Christmassy about snow, and I assure you that the spirit of the season does not depend on the weather. Trust me on that one. Take care, guys. I love that she specifies the weather doesn't get in the way of feeling festive, which is something yeah. I always wonder about, like, warm climates around the holidays. Yeah, because it's hot in Australia, so they do yeah, beach summertime. day, football, seafood, which seems so foreign to us. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, she definitely spoke fondly of it, so. Yeah. Which, I don't know, I can think of some perks there. Right? Julia and I are no strangers to warm Christmases. I mean. Not hot Christmases, though. I would like to probably experience something like that once in my life. I yeah. mean, I'm used to the snow, but it's a nice tradition to, I'd like to experience that one. Well, I mean, there is something to be said for getting used to that hot Christmas, but then doing what you can to experience some of the cool Christmas as well. I think our next contributor, Ross Taylor, talks about that. Um, he covers both Scottish and Australian traditions, but he does a fun little thing for Christmas in July specifically. Yeah. Yeah, let's take a listen. 
Hello there elves, just wanted to share my memories of Christmas. I'm originally from Edinburgh in Scotland and moved across to Melbourne, Australia around about 20 years ago and I still desperately miss having a cold Christmas. So each July I drag my now wife and two kids up to the mountains in Victoria where we rent a cottage, uh, the same cottage every year travel up the mountains, do a bit of cross-country skiing, making snowmen, throwing snowballs, all that sort of stuff, come back to the cottage, open fire, roast dinner, a few glasses of wine by the fire, sharing gifts, uh, and we do that every July for a couple of days, just for me to uh, relive my memories of growing up and having a cold Christmas. I hope you're all doing well. Thanks for giving us this opportunity. Bye-bye. How awesome does that sound? Yeah. Renting a cottage, a cottage. building yes. snowmen. Sounds amazing. Oh, yeah. Skiing. In July, and they do it every July. In July. I mean, don't we all need that in July? A little bit of Christmas yes. now? Yes. So let's stay in Europe for a minute because Michelle Kidwell talks about Welsh traditions, specifically Mario Lloyd, which sounds awesome. So, so yeah. Hi, this is Michelle Kidwell from Minneapolis, Minnesota. We have Welsh heritage in my family, so I thought I would do a little research on Welsh holiday traditions. And I came across something called, and this is two words, the Mari Lloyd, that's spelled M-A-R-I, and then the second word is spelled L-W-Y-D. Uh, so you should Google that and definitely look at the images because you'll come up with some pretty crazy things. Um, so I found this article called The Mari Lloyd, How the Welsh Celebrate Christmas with a Macabre Horse Skull. And I'm just going to read a few things from this article. Uh, the first thing that jumped out at me, the Mari Lloyd is a horse skull which is mounted on a pole rather like a hobby horse and draped in a sackcloth and ribbons. Doesn't that just scream Christmas? Uh, sometimes the horse skull is fixed to be able to open and close its jaw and it often has glass eyes in the sockets. I'm probably going to have nightmares now about this. Um, the next thing that jumped out at me in the article, traditionally a group of men would carry the Mari Lloyd through villages and towns, singing a song asking people to let them in their homes. And oh, it gets better. Householders were expected to deny them access using a song, poetry, or rhymes in return. And if they managed to gain entry into the house, they would be rewarded with food and drink. The food and drink is the best part of that whole um little section there I think uh, I have an English degree so anything that rhymes scares me unless it's Dr. Seuss uh, the next thing here the leader would carry a staff or whip and there would be a merry man and that's capitalized not sure why playing a musical instrument so you can imagine they created quite a noise as they marched along can you imagine that in your streets in Minneapolis we just went through some riots here um, this sounds a little scarier to me, frankly, to be honest. Uh, they would make the Mari Lloyd mock chase people around and pretend to try to restrain them in which all parts of the which was all part of the entertainment factor. 
And that kind of reminds me of 4th of July parades when I was a kid and our amateur hockey team from the state here, they would be in our parade and they would run around and try to chase people um, from the sides. And that always scared me. So the 4th of July was kind of like Halloween to me. Um, The reasons why the custom was performed is also a subject of debate. That's what I think is interesting because none of this seems like Christmas to me. So the next part of the article talks about different um, reasons why they do this. And it says, at this time of the year, there are many festivals that reflected the season's dark nights coming to an end and the coming of spring. Birth and death has a strong meaning. And in Celtic Britain, the horse was a surprise or a prized symbol. So that kind of makes sense to me because it also said that it was probably a pre-Christian tradition. So I think, uh, yeah, I think we're going to do a Mari Lloyd this year for Christmas at our house and maybe make a movie of it. Doesn't this sound like a movie? This totally sounds like it would be a Santa sleigh type movie or something like that. There's something here. We could do something. Or Krampus. We could do something with this. I'm pretty sure. Anyway, the article closes off by saying, The tradition sadly died out in the late 1800s because the revelers began to get a bad reputation for drunkenness and rowdy behavior. It wasn't the dead horse head on a skull on a pole that they had decorated. It was the drunkenness that gave them the bad reputation. Uh, Just side note there. Uh, during the indus- this, That was during the Industrial Revolution, and people became discouraged to continue it. However, they are starting to teach it in schools again, so that's a good thing, I guess. Anyway, if you want to learn more, that article is by Claire Barrand, and it was from December 20th, 2018. So anyway, that's what I found out. Uh, happy Christmas in July. A freaking Macabre horse skull. Talk about combining, like, (laughs) something very Halloween-y with Christmassy, and, ugh, it's the best of both worlds. I feel like Tim Burton (laughs) would love that in his house. Yeah, absolutely. She was fun to hear from, too. I like hearing all these voices, but she's been pretty vocal lately in Mm -hmm. all of our groups, and it's nice to connect voices to names. Which, by the way, Michelle you brought up on our group you should totally start your own podcast you have the voice for it you have the personality for it you'd rock one she totally has a snark for it the snark for it mm-hmm. people like the snark despite what you hear sometimes from <laughs> you go girl people <laughs> who look down their noses at others next up is somebody we've heard before on the show and who we've done a fireside chat with on patreon rebecca bull friend from university <laughs> who lives in Durham, England, and who talks about personal traditions of the nativity plays and carol services she used to do. My favorite Christmas tradition or Christmas memory is being involved in the carol services and nativity plays um, as part of school. I grew up in an old mining village in the northeast of England 
and quite often the schools would be closely affiliated with a church. Ours was no different, so we would start rehearsing, learning our lines, learning our songs, like the end of September, beginning of October. So for me, that was when Christmas started. And even though we would then be rehearsing, we'd be learning the songs and the lines until the middle of December when we would perform these things for our parents, the excitement never went away. We were always as enthusiastic on the day of the performance as we were the day that we were told that we were Mary or the angel. I never got to be an angel because (laughs) they had this thing about the angels had to be fair haired and my hair's very dark so I don't think I ever got to play an angel but I definitely got to play Mary more than once um I used to love learning the songs um being in the choir and when I was in high school we actually got the chance to perform our carol service in Durham Cathedral um people may have seen Durham Cathedral in Avengers Endgame but it's also just a beautiful piece of local history so I was always really proud to be part of that and it meant that Christmas just started that bit earlier for us we had the opportunity to embrace the Christmas spirit from the middle of September when we would be handed out the parts and we would start learning songs and maybe pieces for an audition. And I never got bored of it. I never got bored of the songs. I never got bored of the music. And I never got bored of the feeling that we were on the downhill slope. We were heading towards Christmas. Now we call them the Burr months, but In those days, you could just walk out of your house, you could just smell the wood smoke, and there you were. It was September. It was Christmas. That was it. Julia, these these nativity plays are not things that you can relate to, but I think Anthony and I have at least a frame of reference to relate, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I... Wise men in them. I mean, no, I agree with, like, everyone's trying for the certain parts, right? And <laughs> Yep. And you're still getting stuck as a wise man every year. There was never a song, though, at least in my church, that we did that none of us liked singing. Well, that's because, like, if your church was like mine, we did the just the stock standard... Oh, the, holy night. Yeah, the, like the wise men always sing, We Three Kings. You would have angels singing, Angels We Have Heard on High when they go to the shepherds. And then you'd all stand around and sing, Oh, Holy Night, around a weird wooden stable with some mystery baby. Dog. I was about to say, and Tom's least favorite that we sung in our church, Away in a Manger. They've always had the manger. It's the wooden stable that nobody likes. Away in a Manger, just so you know, was written by a Unitarian to specifically have a non-Trinitarian, non-deified Christ song to sing. Well, I love that it song. Was, you would love songs that, that take the divinity of Christ out of it for between, now you don't want divine Christ, you just want to put Jesus in a manger through all of Advent. Damn it, Anthony, this is ludicrous. So our next listener is... I was excited to hear his voice, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, because he's been around from the very beginning as well. So it's finally good putting a voice to a name. Stephen Beach, a.k.a. Disco54 from Sheffield, England. 
So let's hear what he has to say. Happy Christmas in July. My name is Steve or Disco54 and I live in Sheffield in the UK. Sheffield is an industrial town well known for producing Sheffield steel and our favourite son, Sean Bean. But it also has a thriving music scene and at Christmas this music scene gives us something absolutely unique. From the end of November all the way through to New Year's on certain days in certain places I mean I say certain places, what I mean is certain pubs People gather to sing the Sheffield carols and you can go to watch but you're really not supposed to join in. The Sheffield carols are Christmas carols sung in a dialect in a certain way unique to Sheffield. You can't hear them anywhere else but in this city. The origin of the dialect isn't really known or why the carols that you'd recognise were changed to fit it. This is folk music in its truest form. Music from people, still sung by local people, for people. No money changes hands, there are no record contracts, there's nobody famous. It's just a simple Christmas tradition that has endured for generations, and still endures, and it's been passed down in this city for well over a hundred years. The carols themselves are a mixture of traditional carols that you'd know, like Hark the Herald Angels and Old Little Town of Bethlehem, but they're likely to have different words or a tune that you're unfamiliar with, and far lesser known songs such as The Mistletoe Bow and Jacob's Well, after which it's traditional for someone to say, I didn't know he'd been ill. I've been to a carol singing once or twice, and it's quite something on a cold night in a warm pub with a glass of something to listen to men, because it's usually men who sing, because traditionally it was work choirs from the coal mines or iron and steel works who sang, and you realise that you're part of something that's been sung every Christmas and predates Victorian times. Merry Christmas, tis the podcast. Raise a glass and your voice this year. Uh, Sheffield carols sound awesome. I'm sad I never got down to Sheffield for Christmas when I was living <laughs> over in Newcastle. I didn't know Sean Bean was from Sheffield <laughs> so that made me very happy to hear it also. But like, I'd I, love to go one here the, for Christmas also. I would love, I would just love to tour England during Christmas time. It's Sorry, fun. I did it again. And you know what? This is maybe the longest time that Sean Bean has been referenced in a show that he didn't die in. <laughs> Congrats, Sean. thinking that. Uh, but the, the Sheffield dialect is awesome. And like he said, folk music in its truest form, it certainly sounds like it. I mean, pub sing-alongs, oh, it sounds so cool. It sounds so much fun. It reminded me of... Um, of and Stacey? Yes, that's it. Yes, it yes that's what it reminded me of. While we're on a, the British Isles, let's go over to Adam Parker, host of the Merry Britmas podcast. And another longtime listener. Another longtime active listener. And we're going to learn about a lot of British traditions right now. Turn it over to Adam. Hi, Anthony, Julia, and Tom. This is Adam, an avid listener and a host of the Merry Britsmas podcast, where I talk about all things Christmas from a British perspective. With that in mind, I thought I could share some of my experiences of a British Christmas. I think there's a lot of the traditional ideas of a British Christmas that are well known, they've become common in other countries, so I thought I'd try and think of a couple of unique Christmas experiences that I think are less well known internationally, 
that make Christmas feel like it's here in the UK. Uh, the first for me is the Radio Times. This is a weekly TV guide. It's put out a Christmas double week special for the last few decades. And lots of people, myself included, eagerly await to find out what's on the cover and buy one in middle of December. A lot of people, myself included, then spend a lot of time circling or highlighting all the things we want to watch over the festive period. It's a tradition that I love, always get excited about, and my mum always texts and calls when she gets hers too, even though we live in different parts of the country. Another thing that makes it feel like Christmas is the arrival of all the Christmas chocolates in the shops. So many brands get on the Christmas bandwagon. Dairy Milk has snowballs, Christmas themed bars, chocolate mousse snowmen. But every brand has its own unique take on Christmas chocolates. There's usually a giant wall in the shops. And that's not to mention advent calendars, chocolate coins, and boxes of chocolates such as Quality Street or Roses, all individually wrapped different bite-sized chocolates. My favourites are usually orange creams or strawberry dreams. I love the communal feel of everyone dipping into a big box of chockies over the holiday. One last addition that may be more personal is something called Hyde Park Winter Wonderland. It's a big Christmas fair that's held in London's Hyde Park every year. It has stalls, rides, bars and ice rink, all sorts. Me and my wife had our first date there back in 2011 and I used my Christmas excitement to charm her. We went on a ride which was called something like Snow Blast or Ice Jet, we always forget. So every year whilst we lived in London we would go there and find this one ride to go on. It shot you around at high speed and fake snow shot out as well. Terrible pop music blasted out. It was cheesy, but it was our thing and we'd go find a bar after, have a mulled wine or a cider to warm up and get our balance back. There is so much more that makes Christmas unique in Britain, from the Queen to Advent calendars to mince pies. So if you want to find out more, you can check out my Merry Christmas podcast. There are a bunch that are online from the last couple of years and I'm planning on some more right now. Our podcast sounds so plebeian with our generic American dialects as I'm hearing all of these beautiful dialects and accents from around the world. I mean, it doesn't help that it's a little uh, tried and true with three people sitting around discussing films while all these people are discussing beautiful personal Christmas traditions. But what can you do? It works for us. I think I just want him saying chocolates like over and over and over <laughs> again on my phone somehow so I can just listen to it to chill at night because it made me hungry and it also like chilled me out. So, I, and then the Hyde Park Winter Wonderland, I looked that up as he was oh, telling us about it. And it yes, looks please. gorgeous. It reminded Hyde me of Shazam, but on a big scale. Yeah, you know what? It did. That's a good yeah, I can see that. I love Hyde Park. It is amazing. I really, really, really want to see it at Christmas. It's, it is amazing. At Christmas or just in general? Uh, both. I have seen it in person. I was lucky in that regard. I saw a lot of Christmas stuff in England and oh. Edinburgh and Wales. Edinburgh is like way high up there for places I want to go. My favorite place in all of Europe that I visited. Edinburgh? Mm-hmm. I would live there in a heartbeat if I could. Me too. Oh. So let's think... travel back to the other side of the world, to New Zealand, speaking of fun accents, and listen to Dwayne Bailey from Tinsel Tunes podcast. Let's listen to some of his Christmas traditions. Hello, everyone. Dwayne here from the Tinsel Tunes podcast. And at time of recording right now, it's wintertime here in New Zealand, which is the opposite to most of you listening right now. How is the extreme heat and those long, hot summer days treating you? Does it feel like Christmas? Do you get the Christmas feels in this sort of weather? No? 
Well, for me, that's exactly what Christmas is like. In New Zealand and Australia, it's full-on summer in December, but it starts in September when the evenings stay lighter for longer. It's warming up and we can spend more time outside. I start to get those Christmas feels, and even though I work on my outdoor Christmas display throughout the year, I'm usually like a bull out of a gate to get to decorating and plastering the lights all over the house. At this time, we usually work through the normal milestones, which for me starts with our local area annual holiday called Hawke's Bay Day, which leads into a long four-day weekend when combined with Labour Weekend during mid to late October, which is also a great weekend to start decorating, I must say. Then, in November, we have Guy Fawkes Day, which as a member of the Commonwealth, New Zealand celebrates the foiling of a conspiracy by the Catholic Church to blow up the British Parliament in the gunpowder plot of 1605 by a man named Guy Fawkes. Then, it's Halloween. And by this stage, the lights are all up, the interior is mostly decorated, and we are in full swing. By this time, the sun sets around 8.30 to 9pm, which leaves plenty of time to do Christmas shopping after work and into the evening. As for the weather, well, out come the music, the beers and the barbecues, and swimming most weekends and evenings. We also see various versions of Santa in his sleigh doing the rounds on decorated trailers being towed behind a car, visiting schools and Christmas events in town. For my Christmas where I live in Hawke's Bay, we have carols by candlelight, in the evenings on most weekends in December. We also have late night after work shopping festivals. There is the Christmas light trail, which makes the week before Christmas a very busy time hosting the Christmas light display for our local people who come around to visit. We do find time to fit some of our favorite Christmas movies in. You know the ones, Elf, the Santa Claus trilogy, Polar Express, you know, that sort of thing. We try to do very little on Christmas Eve and soak it all in before it's over, as it seems to be over in a flash each season. Christmas Day, we spend it with family. If Christmas lunch is at our house, which it has been for the last couple of years, we eat lunch in the comfort of the living room away from the heat outside, then after lunch, some of the family will snooze, some of us will go out swimming or just enjoy the outside. Some years it rains, but that doesn't dampen our spirits, except for the outside stuff, and I think about how other people in colder climates might do Christmas. December the 26th is Boxing Day, and these days it's a day off work for me, but for the last 20 years I was in retail, and that usually meant working. Christmas is pretty much over, very abruptly I might add. There's no music on the radio, no Christmas ads or programs on the TV. It's quite the letdown. And from here, it's all about New Year's and summer. The beach is a popular venue for many people, and the Batch by the Beach is a Kiwi institution, and many holidays are spent there due to a large number of businesses, especially non-food or retail ones, closing down for two weeks over this Christmas and New Year period, which gives people plenty of time to holiday. Could I see myself having a Christmas in winter? Sure. It's a dream of mine to visit a place like New York or Canada, for instance, to experience a white Christmas. But for me, Christmas equals summer, and more so, the lead up to Christmas Day. So I wish everyone a happy Christmas in July, and let's look forward to Christmas 2020. Let's make it the best we can under the given circumstances. Merry Christmas, everyone. So another one where Christmas is in the summer, 
I love that he works on his lights all year round. That's commitment. I do too. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. That's pretty awesome. I find it really interesting that somebody who is in that, because for us, so much of of Christmas is wrapped up in this winter environment. You know, so much of it is 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 contingent upon the cold and winter. And those of us who grow up without that are always feel this longing at Christmas time. But he's got this deep love for summer Christmas, which I find really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I like yeah. that he embraced it and he can't think of any, you know, he rubbed it in yep. <laughs> actually a little bit. Yep. Oh, it's hot here and how do we like that and all that. So that's why I'd really like to uh, experience that once in my life. Also, Dwayne, you have to come on the show proper. We need to get you on, my friend. We do. I like this guy. Speaking mm-hmm. of getting people on the show, someone you have heard many, many times, both on our show and his own Christmas Clatter podcast, Todd Killian from Missouri. Let's listen to some of his Christmas traditions. Hi, I'm Todd Killian from Christmas Clatter podcast, and I'd like to thank Anthony, Tom, and Julia for let me be on to share a Christmas tradition with them. Uh, my family has many traditions from cookie day where we make lots and lots of cookies for everybody that wants to come eat them to games and gags. We play on each other every year uh, to the reading of the nativity story every Christmas as a family. There's just so many traditions to choose from. One of my favorite traditions is a, is a, it's more of a game, but it's a long-standing uh, game we play every Christmas. It's always so much fun, and everybody f- looks forward to it every year, even the youngest kids. We all meet at my parents' house. My parents have a beautiful uh, 12-foot Christmas tree uh, they put up every year, and we are Advent Hallmark Keepsake Ornament fans. So my mom and dad buy keepsake ornament for everybody that comes, me and my family, my sister and her family. It's always an ornament that reminds them of that person, something they like, a movie they like, something like that. Mom and dad uh, hand out these boxes that are wrapped and you unwrap them and that's your keepsake ornament box picture of the ornament is on the box however the ornament is not inside the ornament is hanging on that 12 foot christmas tree somewhere and we do not move on with our regular christmas festivities until everybody has found their ornament now this tree is decorated better than any christmas tree you'd see on hallmark channel there's already probably over a thousand ornaments on this tree and you're trying to find your one, whether it be a scene from Elf or Christmas Vacation or some kind of snowman or some kind of snow bird or some kind of car or truck for one of the boys. It just doesn't matter. We started this tradition a long time ago, probably pushing close to 20 years ago now. Each year it's getting harder and harder because mom's getting better and better at hiding them. It's gotten to the point that she has to make notes about where she hid them because if we can't find them, she sometimes can't remember where she put them. And I believe there was one year 
we couldn't find someone's ornament, so we had to wait till after Christmas when all the ornaments came off the tree to be able to find it. It's taken as long as an hour before for everybody to find the ornaments. But I just love this tradition because it gets everybody close together uh, around the Christmas tree. It gets everybody working together, trying to hunt down each other's ornaments. And it's just so much fun and such a good time having everybody in such a tight place and working together and trying to figure out where mom and dad stashed the ornaments. Thanks again, guys, for this opportunity to share and have a very Merry Christmas in July. We have said it before, but this guy is Santa's brother. He really is. He really, between the cookie day and the hiding the Hallmark, I love that idea. Hiding new yeah. keepsake ornaments, you get an empty box and then you have to find your ornament. Like, I want to yeah. do that. I want to see too. that tree because the way he makes it sound, his mom having to make notes on where she hides them now. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I, I want to, I need pictures of this tree. Something tells yep. me we'll get to see it. I mean, he did say he'd invite us over for cookie day, so. I hope that's true. And last, but certainly not least, from South Texas, another person you've heard multiple times on our show and on his new Christmas podcast, Totally Rad Christmas, is Jerry Davila. Let's hear what Jerry has to say. Hi, this is Jerry D. from Totally Rad Christmas, longtime listener and uh, sometime guest of Tis the Podcast. I could tell you about some of the traditions in South Texas where I'm from, but I've been on the show so many times I feel like everybody kind of knows about it already, so I'm not going to tell you about um, the Mexican hot chocolate with cinnamon and a little bit of uh, cayenne or chipotle. I'm not going to tell you about uh, Las Posadas that we do where we kind of reenact Mary and Joseph's looking for an inn. And of course there's prayers and, and songs uh, interspersed throughout. And I'm not going to tell you about all the, the Matachinas uh, dancers that, uh, that do special religious style dances. Instead, I'm going to talk to you about the time I got to visit the North Pole. And I'm going to talk to you about some of their traditions. It was a few years ago, actually. It was before my daughter was born. And I got to go up and even visit Santa's workshop, which was really, really cool. One thing that I noticed is that... Uh, Rankin Bass actually got it kind of right regarding the elves' wardrobe. It's almost like uh, like that Buddy the Elf style, um, similar to uh, the Elf Foreman. Um, but rather than the, the blue of Hermie, they actually had more of the uh, oranges and, and reds, which I thought was kind of interesting choice. Also, um, there was a polar bear directing traffic, except he, he wasn't in any official capacity. He was just actually out of the goodness of his heart. So that was actually kind of something cool. One thing I did notice is that, because uh, I, I went up, it was a, a, like two or three days before Christmas and I got to spend Christmas there, which was fantastic. Uh, although really Christmas night, uh, Christmas Eve night, I mean, Santa's gone. So there's really not a whole lot to do. Everybody just kind of takes it easy. But a couple of days before Christmas, while Santa's checking his list and everything, you can actually tour the workshop if you're lucky enough to go and as you're going through you can see most of the presents are already wrapped and packed which is fantastic the list is in these volumes and volumes it's not just one long list it really is in in separate sheets of paper although they showed me the scrolls that they actually used to be written on which is really cool 
Uh, but one tradition that I thought was very cool was uh, before they get ready, so this is like on the 22nd, I think it was, of December, before they actually head out, the reindeer games are held. So I got to watch all of the reindeer games, and that was really cool. Uh, so there's a flying competition, there's a leaping competition, um, there's actually a landing competition, believe it or not. And so that was also something that was just really, really fun. Uh, everybody's in high spirits. There's hot chocolate all around. Oh, there's a hot chocolate contest. Um, I couldn't find Judy. I don't think there actually is a Judy, but there was um, an elf whose recipe was um, the winner for like a hundred years, and so she had to retire. I don't recall what her name was, but it definitely wasn't Judy. And and uh, her hot yes, her cocoa was amazing. Uh, the cool thing was that depending, uh, like each elf kind of had a, their own little take on it, and while every single one felt like Christmas and just made you all warm and fuzzy, there were little hints of, of various things that you just wouldn't think to put in there. So, you know, there was some a cardamom hot cocoa mixed with cinnamon and nutmeg, that was amazing. There was even a South Texas style inspired one, which again, I was very surprised at, but I think they did that just because I was there. So I felt I felt a little bit special. Uh, every, I noticed that everything they do is always uh, done with love and care and they take their time to really welcome you and, and, and really make sure that all the toys and all the clothes and, and everything that they give out are up to standard. And so not only do they check the list twice, I got to be there when they did quality control checks on all of their uh, Christmas presents themselves. So that was also really neat. There's a, um, a script class, which I also thought was pretty cool, where they, uh, they kind of teach all the elves how to write in the correct calligraphy style. Other than that, I mean, it was just, it was nice. And I mentioned on Christmas Eve, so before the, Santa actually sets out, St. Nicholas, I should say, leads them in Vespers, and then he packs the sleigh together with the elves. So he's actually down there doing the, the nitty gritty with them. And then they head out, and it was eerily quiet. Everyone just kind of sung Silent Night, and then we, we each went off to our own rooms, and we kind of had a little chat here and there. Like, you, you could go out into the common areas, and, and you'd see some of the elves out, but most of them, I think, were just ready for a nice rest. And it was fantastic. And, of course, everyone was, was just on pins and needles until it was time, and once Santa left... We were all so exhausted that we just went to our, our rooms, which I can't even begin to describe how magical and wonderful it was. I mean, it was just so amazing. And each room was tailored to everybody's specific Christmas nostalgia. So some of the elves that were older, they had items from uh, the ancient world, which I thought was really cool. Um, some of the, the younger elves had some of the more modern accoutrement. Uh, and decorations, and of course, as a guest, my room magically just created um, stuff from my childhood. So my stocking was actually there, it was transported. And um, the Christmas tree in my room resembled the Christmas tree that we had growing up. I mean, everything was just wonderful. You know, tinsel all over the place, the the satin ball ornaments, or, or bauble ornaments if you want to call them that. And Anyway, when Santa arrived, we all kind of woke up. Uh, about 30 minutes before then and um, and then Santa arrived and we all sang Joy to the World and then we had a nice Christmas breakfast which again they had all sorts of delicacies and delectables that you could imagine so that's some of the traditions at the North Pole and I hope everybody gets a chance to go
This is Jerry D. from Totally Rad Christmas, and all I can say is have a happy, happy Christmas in July. Later, dudes. Before we go into the awesomeness of things like Mexican hot chocolate, can we just take a moment and appreciate how quickly Jerry goes from normal, nondescript dialect to full-blown Hispanic accent and back flawlessly? <laughs> right? <laughs> but man, his Mexican traditions sound really awesome. Again, mm. the food and the drinks, I just want to go to the kitchen and just make a feast now. Mm. I but really like hearing his religious traditions as well, like the Los Posados. It's it's great mm. to hear how other people incorporate their religion into their celebration. Also, I didn't uh, realize Los Posada is that old. Also, I want to know how he got an invitation to the North Pole for Christmas. Right, yeah, I'm like, come on, when are y'all going to get to that point? Because I need that gig. Yeah, and North Pole at Christmas sounds pretty freaking sweet. It does. It really does. Man, we got lots of good submissions, guys. They were all awesome, all interesting. Again, we have... Best Christmas in July yet. Best one yet. We have the best listeners in the world. So thank you to everyone who participated. Ron, Alex, Lauren, Matt, Manny, April, Nicole, Glenn, Claude, Charlene, Rachel, Ross, Michelle, Rebecca, Stephen, Adam, Dwayne, Todd, and Jerry. Did you put Rachel and Ross together on purpose? I did not, but that's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) You guys certainly brightened up our Christmas in July and can't can't say enough good things about y'all. Thank yep. you for being part of the little family we've built over the past three years and being active participants in social media. And we love you all. And Thank even you. though we're moving back to movies on Monday with Christmas Eve on Sesame Street, you can still let us know your Christmas traditions on Facebook, on all the social medias, because we still want to hear from all of y'all and how you celebrate Christmas or mm-hmm. you know, where you come from, how they celebrate Christmas. And where can they let us know that, Julia? They can let us know that by going on any of our social medias. So Twitter, Facebook, Facebook groups, Reddit, Instagram. Um, we're on all of these places and you can find them real easy by going to www.tisthepodcast.com backslash Twitter, Instagram. Just insert your social media at the end. Super easy way to do it. And we want to talk to you. If you like additional content, join us on our Patreon. Go to tisthepodcast.com slash Patreon and you'll get redirected over. For as little as a dollar a month, you are getting some serious bonus content during the COVID quarantine. We have a lot of material coming your way, including new stickers by the end of August. And there may be a Christmas card in the mail, so you'll want to join soon if you want to get the Tits the Podcast Christmas card. Also, you get more Christmas in July goodness because just yesterday, a Christmas in July bonus episode dropped in which, again, I discussed Christmas in New York with April Riley. So check it out. And if you want to support the show in a free way, besides just downloading the show in your regular feeds every Monday, I'll leave us a review on iTunes because every new review helps new listeners find us and helps us to spread the Christmas cheer 365 days per year. So tune in Monday for Christmas Eve on Sesame Street. But until then, we'll leave you with some good news. There are only 3,696 hours until Christmas. That's only 154 days. Only 22 weeks. Wow. Exactly. Like, it'll be here before you know it. Time is flying. Time is flying. That's right. So we hope you enjoyed this bonus episode. Do your homework for Monday. Watch Christmas Eve on Sesame Street. And until then, bye, y'all. Bye. Happy Christmas in July.
Merry Christmas in July. Silver bells, silver bells. It's Christmas time in the city. Ring a ling, hear them ring. Soon it will be Christmas day. City sidewalks, busy sidewalks. And we can cut that out because if y'all didn't catch that reference, I don't think anybody else will, and it'll just make me sound like a real weirdo. There's a feeling of Christmas. Children laughing, people passing, meeting smile after smile, and on every street corner you'll hear silver bells, silver bells. It's Christmas time in the city. Hear them ring Soon it will be Christmas Day Strings of street lights, even stoplights blinker bright Who you calling Cootie Queen, you went lecker? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just putting the, I'm just putting that at the end with no context after the after the credits. I really <laughs> Silver bells, silver bells. It's Christmas time in the city. Ring the ling, hear them ring. Soon it will be Christmas Day.